This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about Hunter Biden. Of course, he was the target of a massive Republican attack campaign for more than a year leading up to the election. And at the same time, the gossip pages seized on his disastrous private life. They made the most of his decades of alcohol addiction and drug abuse and also his acrimonious divorce from his first wife and his subsequent affair with the widow of his brother. Now he's written a book. It's called Beautiful Things, a memoir. For comment, we turn to Amy Willens. It's a new season of The Children's Hour. This time, we're not talking about Ivanka or Jared or Don Jr. or little Eric. This time, it's about Hunter and his dead brother, Bo. Amy has written extensively about the Middle East, California, and the Trump family. She's best known for her work on Haiti, most recently the award-winning book Farewell, Fred Voodoo. She's a longtime contributing editor at The Nation and former Jerusalem bureau chief of The New Yorker magazine. She's also a 2020 Guggenheim Fellow. And she teaches in the literary journalism program at UC Irvine. We reached her today at home in Los Angeles. Amy, welcome back. Thank you, John. Well, Hunter Biden's book, Beautiful Things, is what a lot of reviewers are calling a redemption narrative, a story of trauma and failure with a happy ending the triumph of love over adversity. Is that the best way to describe this book? I don't think that's the best way to describe it. It's awfully kind, though. I would describe it as an attempt by Hunter Biden to seize the narrative of his disasters and to turn them into a kind of inoculation for himself and his family and his father, the president of the United States, uh, against future allegations, etc., about all of his nastiness and um, sad, sick behaviors. Well, uh, let's start with the traumas. He and his older brother, Bo, were in the car when their mother and baby sister were killed. How old were the boys? Hunter was three and Bo was five. And what does he say about that in the book? He just remembers seeing his mother turn her head and then... um, his brother hurtling through the air toward him mm. and nothing, nothing else. But apparently uh, Bo's leg was broken and Hunter sustained some head injuries and Naomi, the little baby girl was killed. And so was the mother Neely. This obviously has to have been, can we call it a formative experience for a three-year-old? Oh yeah. And his father had just been elected to the United States Senate. I believe, for his first term. He was about to be sworn in. And, uh, of course, it was a giant tragedy. And uh, Joe Biden was a young, handsome senator. You know, it was a real story, tabloid story, this terrible car accident in which a child was killed and other children were injured. And Joe Biden (laughs) was worried about his sons. And he went and had his swearing-in ceremony in their hospital room. Filmed for television, I believe. And then the other big trauma uh, in Hunter's life was that his older brother, Bo, died of a brain tumor in 2015. He was only 46. I understand there's a lot about Bo in Hunter's book. There's a lot about Bo, but it's interesting about Bo's death because, I mean, it's like a continuation of the car accident. That's how I felt about it. Like, And now Bo's going to die? So it's a hideous thing. And there's a lot about Bo in the book. And 
and Hunter's connection to Bo and how they were always Bo and Hunt. And everybody thought of them together as they were growing up. And you wonder if that's true or not. He describes very um, clearly uh, how Bo was always more successful. Bo was handsome. Bo was the life of the party. Bo didn't drink till he was legally allowed to drink, supposedly. Uh, Bo was a poet. I mean, Bo was everything. And Bo was named after his father. Bo is, is Joe Biden III, Joseph Robinette Biden III. So, I mean, there was a connection. And I think Bo was the, the wonder child and the darling boy of the family. And Hunter was more difficult than probably given the way Hunter behaves in his own <laughs> memoir. He was probably difficult before the memoir even begins. I mean, he was probably a difficult teenager. He was caught doing, you know, the usual teenage bad things. And Bo wasn't caught anyway. You talk about something you call the Biden tragedy machine. That slightly icky feeling you can get that the Biden tragedy machine causes when uh, Joe Biden gets tears in his eyes and starts talking about Bo and then about how he empathizes. And it, it's like uh, it's like the Kennedy machine, except the Biden tragedies, you know, they seem Hunter's tragedy is self-inflicted. And it's not an assassin coming out of the woodwork. And even the car crash is not some terrible act toward them as Bidens. They just keep having tragedies. Um, but the tragedy machine is the one that keeps bringing up these tragedies, the car accident and Bo's death, especially as for, for Joe Biden, the second, that is the president, it's a useful tool for him. I, um, I have no doubt that he's sincere about his sadness over his son's death and his first wife's death. But he uses it as a way to connect all the time over and over. Bo is a trope for him. And Bo is a trope for Hunter used in a very different way as a sort of excuse, the death of this beloved, adored brother and his helpmeet. I mean, they're like lovers, truly, in the book. And how that just took the stuffing right out of Hunter. And that's why all this disaster has happened. And he says over and over, it wasn't Bo's fault and it's not the fault of Bo's death. But, you know, he's still churning and churning the death of Bo throughout. One of the big scandals of Hunter's life is his affair with the widow of his brother. What does he say about that? Well, he says what you would expect, that um, this great light of their lives was taken from both of them. And they turned to each other for sustenance and support, fell in love, but then it didn't work. He wanted to be there for her kids, his, uh, I think, a nephew and a niece, but it didn't work. He turned back to drugs. She couldn't live with him anymore. You know, it's a very sad story. And there may be more complications than we know. Of course, we all want to know what he says about Burisma, the Ukrainian oil and gas company that was headed by a corrupt oligarch. Hunter, just to remind our listeners, took a high-paying job on the board of Burisma when his father was vice president. And Trump and the Republicans said that Hunter somehow got his father to help stop a Ukrainian investigation into the corrupt oligarch who headed Burisma. This is ridiculous. If anything, it was the opposite. 
And also ridiculous is Trump's other charge that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election. And then, of course, Congress impeached Trump for abuse of power for the phone call where he tried to get the president of Ukraine to open an investigation into Burisma and Hunter Biden, which Trump then would have used in the 2020 campaign. Now, we can all agree it was a bad idea for Hunter to take a high-paying job working for an oligarch of a Ukrainian. Unthinkable <laughs> that the family permitted that, especially Joe Biden with his interest in becoming president, his repeated interest in becoming president. Hunter says that he was supremely qualified for the job. He cites all of his work in finance, etc. He has a Yale Law degree, which to me is impressive. Um, but, you know, his name was Biden then when he got into Yale and his name was Biden when he worked for Burisma. And uh, and it's hard to avoid that for a person who has a sort of celebrity dad. But he takes about 13 pages to tell you why everything at Burisma was OK. And he insists that there was no criminal activity. No criminal activity. I believe that, although. You could argue that there is a side of Hunter Biden that is not entirely integrated the way a grown-up should be and possibly a little bit criminal leaning since he lives in the dark underbelly of, of America in many ways. Past tense, please. He did live he lived, before he was redeemed by the love. Of- <laughs> for a long time in the dark underbelly of America. And the other thing that's been in the news so much is is the laptop. Uh, Fox News is still talking about the laptop. Hunter supposedly forgot to pick up his laptop from a Delaware repair shop. What what do we need to know about this? I just have to say, Woody Allen supposedly forgot to take the Polaroid photos off the mantelpiece when Mia Farrow was visiting. So Hunter forgot. These are like terribly destructive, self-destructive acts. You don't do that, but he was maybe not in a state to remember his laptop. Or maybe it's totally invented. I don't know. But I've looked carefully, as I often do, at the Daily Mail. (laughs) That's where the story seems to be originating. And then the New York Post under Rupert Murdoch has taken it up big time, Fox News. It's a very well done fake, if it's a fake. And what is it that they show on Fox News from the laptop? Many, many things, John. Uh, Not all of them good for family listening. (laughs) Uh, But there is a video of supposedly Hunter supposedly receiving sexual favors from a supposed prostitute while smoking supposedly crack. Could be him. You've said this book is a defuser. What does that mean? It's meant to defuse whatever attacks are coming next against Hunter Biden. I have to believe this was looked at by Biden, Joe Biden's people before it was published. So, I mean, I think it's a tool to um, to stop the Hunter derailment and, uh, you know, to put all the interesting stuff in one place and let it be Hunter's, uh, not the media's and certainly not Fox, Fox News. But the laptop is a problem. So you call it a diffuser. They call it a tell-all. To tell all, you have to tell all. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, maybe it tells all. I mean, it tells a lot of detail about drug abuse. And I felt, 
as I was reading it, whoa, this is reminding me of some work of literature, Hunter Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, you know, taking the drugs out, going downtown, going to Skid Row. He doesn't even know the name of Skid Row. He just keeps going down there and he into tents to get drugs. And he just does amazingly depraved, low down things in the book. But it's not all there because there's more like and I can understand he has three pretty much grown daughters and a new baby boy. And he may not want to talk about prostitutes. You know, that's entirely possible. Prostitutes he saw while he was still married to their mother, the the girl's mother. I think that's very hard. So even in a tell all, most people don't tell all, but most people haven't left a laptop, if it's true, in a Delaware repair shop for Fox News to find. Maureen Dowd in the New York Times described the book as, quote, ineffably sad and beautifully written, but a different Maureen, Maureen Callahan, in a different New York newspaper, the New York Post, said Hunter Biden whitewashes just about everything in his book. Which description is better? Let's put the two in a blender. I think they're it's both true. I don't think it's beautifully written. I mean, there are tender moments, definitely. And I got tears in my eyes over Bo, which is one of the things it's meant to do. And what a writer should do is do what he means to do. So yeah, I got tears in my eyes over Bo's death. But it's written like a bestseller. It's a little bit like a step above a bestseller in the writing. But there's no paragraph that is more than three sentences long or a sentence that's more than two lines long. I mean, it's not a complicated book of great craftsmanship and, and uh, profound thought. And it, I, to me, it's not a book of redemption, a redemptive story. No, it's a sad story of a substance abuser. His, his next wife, after Kathleen says to him, and he says this in the car, he thinks he's going to get back together. He's such a typical substance abuser oh, now we'll get back together because I've been in rehab. And she goes, I will never forgive you. You don't know why, really, because we don't know enough about them. Go to the laptop. So there's that kind of thing, but he doesn't redeem himself. And the next wife is a person introduced to him by friends from the Chateau Marmont, where he racks up, I mean, enormous bills that you can't believe he's so irresponsible to have done. The Chateau Marmont is a... Los Angeles hotel frequented by celebrities known for its bungalows and the misconduct that goes on in the bungalow. The privacy of the bungalow, yes. But he was even kicked out of the Chateau Marmont, among many, many other hotels, Hunter Biden. So at the end, he marries this girl. So she's introduced to him by friends. We have no idea who she is. She's a South African filmmaker. Those are air quotes of mine, but she made some films. And... um, She just takes him in hand. And six days later, after having met her, they get married. So uh, I don't call that love or redemption. I call that a desperate need for someone to take care of him and keep him on the straight and narrow while his father is president. We just don't want to find Hunter Biden where he could be found in the end, which is in a cheap motel room with uh, vials of stuff around him. We don't want that. But it doesn't feel like he's beyond it. So that takes me to the last, my last question, the title, Beautiful Things. Obviously, this is not a reference to what he calls smoking crack around the clock at the bungalows at the Chateau Marmont. What does the title mean? It's a reference to a quote from Beau. Beau 
Bo and Hunter like to talk about beautiful things. Bo, Bo made up the, the phrase, the beautiful things in nature and all the beautiful things around them and how lucky they were to be alive. And, and uh, there's a very moving scene where Bo is really in bad shape from the cancer and, you know, his mind is going and he has trouble speaking and, and he and Hunter are sitting out on some porch, looking out at beautiful nature and Hunter, uh, Bo seems to point to a watch on, on Hunter's wrist. And then there's a whole long story about a watch that Bo took from his dad a long time ago. And then he lost it. He could never find it. He's always been obsessed about it. So Hunter says, oh yeah, the watch, this one looks like dad's. And, and, um, and then Bo goes, not, not the watch. He says, says the beautiful things. And he tries to gesture out toward this landscape that they're looking at. You know, it's very sad. It's very sad. This has been another episode of the children's hour with Amy Willens stories about sons of presidents, whoever they happen to be. Amy, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 